Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Um, in the review, this is going to be the final message of the three-part series on Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is one of the most popular psalms in the Bible, yet also one of the most underappreciated and underutilized as well. How many of us, that was like one of the first things if we went to children's church or Sunday school that we were taught to memorize was Psalm 23. I know for me it was like I would hear it when people were dying. People would pray Psalm 23 over them. But Psalm 23 is so much more, and I thank God for this series. Um, This is the final message on the series, and Pastor has entrusted me to to continue with it. So I pray that um, the Lord would just help me and that he will open all of our hearts that we could hear what he would have to say to us concerning the final message of this psalm, of this series. So again... The goal of the series is to bring new life to Psalm 23 so that we can take advantage of the life-changing promises that this power-packed psalm brings. So before we begin, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely... Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Let's get a little bit of a review of what we've covered so far in this psalm. For those of you that might have missed a Sunday or or this is new to you, as a review, so far we've learned we need a shepherd Why do we need a shepherd? To guide us, because we, like sheep, we don't have the ability to navigate our own life, to bear our own burdens, to protect ourselves from danger. So God says, I will be your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We need a shepherd. We also covered the following three of four components that make up Psalm 23. One, our shepherd is good, and he is God. Our shepherd is good, and our shepherd is God. No, God is a shepherd. He's not a sheep herder. I loved learning about this. Because while religion drives people 
relationship with God leads and partners with people. And that's the difference between a sheep herder and a shepherd. He is not our sheep herder. He is our shepherd. So specifically, our shepherd promises never to drive us towards a destination or a destiny, even if it's in our own best interest. What? We have choice. We have choice to follow the shepherd. He is our shepherd, but he will not drive us. He leads us. Instead, he remains close, leading us step by step into righteous paths that he prescribed for us. He is not a taskmaster, but he is a shepherd. Some of us, I know I did, some of us grew up in a religion where it was like God was almost like the hammer in the sky. He was like the one that um, gave us tasks to do, the Ten Commandments, isn't that? Not that those are bad things, but that's all we saw him was in a legalistic taskmaster way in that if we got out of line, we felt like we got out of line or we did anything wrong, bang, you know, he was going to just whip us or bring that hammer down in the sky, you know, that he was just the, the far-off God that was waiting, waiting for us to do wrong, and then, boom, if we did wrong. That's more of a taskmaster. That is not our shepherd. I know for me, I had to come into a place of really having my mind renewed through what the truth of the scriptures are. And the truth is, is he is our shepherd. He is not our taskmaster. Our shepherd provides for us. He provides for us how? By making us lie down in green pastures and beside the still waters. He provides all that we need in the time of needing refreshing and rest. He makes us lie down in green pastures, and he leads us by the still waters. Peace. He gives us peace. Our shepherd protects us by being with us in battle. We may have a very difficult time right now. We may feel like we're in the midst of a battle. You know, sometimes God does lead us into those places. He never promised us that we wouldn't have difficulty. He never promised us that we would avoid um, the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death. But he did promise that he would be with us. And he promised that he would protect us. And he promised that he would bless us in the middle of the battle. Wait, how can we be blessed in the middle of the battle? His presence is with us everywhere. And he promises to protect us and bless us in the middle of a battle. I think of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, They were thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to anybody but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because of that, because of their faith, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. So they were in the battle. But what does it say? And and you you can read, I didn't have it up on the screen, but it says that there was a fourth man in there. It was Jesus. Jesus was right there in the midst of the fiery furnace. He's right there in the midst of our battle. And you know what? Those flames, it says, didn't even come near the the three children, the three Hebrew children. 
And that's the thing. We can be in the midst of the battle, but the battle's not going to overtake us. We are not going to be hurt by the battle because he is there and he promises to be with us and he promises to protect us and also bless us in the middle. He refreshes us from the battle. Oh, I like those times of refreshing, when it seems like there's peace in the land, when it seems like that in my life things are all good right now. You know, there's peace and things are good. Well, I'm on the other side of the battle. Well, he, uh, he does refresh us because sometimes on the other side we're tired. Sometimes we, we feel like, okay, I don't have the strength. He promises as our shepherd to refresh us in the battle and from the battle. One of my favorite verses of all the time is Jeremiah um, 31, 25. It says, I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. I will. It doesn't say maybe. He says, I will satisfy the weary soul. I get weary sometimes. Sometimes in the battle, a long battle, we do get weary. See, we think that we're not going to feel some of these emotions and some of these effects, but we do, but we don't have to stay in that because God comes in and he refreshes us. He refreshes us from the battle. Remember, Also, especially us as a church, and this is what I love about um, Lakeshore Gastonia and and the team we have here and the people that we have here, there's such a a unity with us and such a love, a, a love for each other. And, you know, God wants to use us to refresh each other, that when we see one another in a place where we know, okay, they're in the thick of it, they are in the thick of it, and they are feeling it. You know what? We can come alongside our brother and sister and say, God, use me. Use me to bring refreshing to them. Sometimes it might be a word. You know, you may just uh, have a word to speak over them, to remind them of the truth of God in spite of what they're going through and lift their eyes to the finish line of it rather than um, being stuck in it. And sometimes it's, hey, can I pray for you? I can't help your situation, but I know one who can, and you know God can. Let me come alongside. Let me pray with you. Let me pray the word and agree with you. Guess what? That brings refreshing. I've been at a time of um, weariness at times, and all of a sudden my phone would ring. And before I would get off the phone, it was, thank you. I needed that. I needed that. And a lot of times it wasn't things I did not know. It was reminders. I needed that reminder. Yes, you're right. This is what God says. Yes, you're right. God is right here with me. Yes, you're right. God is going to use this for the good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. And that's what the word says. Thank you. So don't be afraid um, to allow God to use you to minister to each other. God promises to refresh us. Sometimes he uses us. Sometimes he uses us to help bring refreshing to each other. So remember, many times we are the tool of God for the times of refreshing. 
I like what Second Timothy 1.16 says, May the Lord grant, grant mercy to the house of, and I'm not even going to begin to pronounce his name, Onesiphorus. I don't know, David, do you know? Uh, anyways, it was a household that, that Paul said, May the Lord grant mercy, or Timothy, to the household, for he often refreshed me. It was not afraid of my chains. He was refreshed in the midst of his chains, and God used people he used the whole household of this person to bring refresh. And it, you know what I like about it? It didn't say it brought him out of his chains. They didn't bring him out of his chains, but while he was in it, God used them to refresh. I love that. I love that because no matter where we're at, God is going to be there with us, and he's going to bring refreshing. So that's the review on, on what... The, this series has been about, and, and the final message that we want to talk about, the final component is our shepherd fulfills his promises. Our shepherd fulfills his promises. Second Corinthians one twenty says, For all the promises of God in him, in who? New Testament, in Christ, all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. All the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. He fulfills his promises. There is not a promise that we can't stand on. He fulfills his promises. He inspired David himself to write in Psalm 23, 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, if you can understand that through my Boston accent, surely, surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely is a tiny Hebrew word, a.k.a. It's referred to as a participle of affirmation that here emphatically and with restrictive force asserts that what follows can be taken as absolute truth. So absolutely true goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's what surely means here. Absolutely true. What I'm saying is absolutely true. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I take comfort in that. I take comfort in that. While this is valuable information, it is not new information, as throughout the Bible consistently and unequivocally declares his word to be unquestionably true. Here's a few examples. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man, thank you, Lord, (laughs) that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make good? 
He's not a man that he should lie. What he speaks, he will do. What he says, he will perform. We can take that to the bank. 1 Samuel 15, 29 says, And also the strength of Israel, notice the capital S. The capital S identifies the strength. Who's the strength? God. The strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. For he is not a man that he should relent. So we see here God's promises a yes and amen. Man may fail us, and I think each one of us in our life can say that there was a time that man or woman have failed us, but God never will. That's his promise. He never will. It doesn't matter what it looks like, what it feels like. His promise is he will never fail us. His promise is we can take him at his word and we can stand on it, and we can believe it. Hebrews six seventeen through 18 says, Thus God determined, determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have Strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. It is impossible for God to lie. So I think there's enough scriptures that we can really begin to, um, by faith, hang on to this. God is not a man that he will lie, he won't relent. He's God. He's our shepherd. To those of us that follow him, he is our shepherd. And he leads us. He leads us. And he is trustworthy. Titus 1, 1 through 2, Paul, a bondservant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect, in the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life with God who cannot lie, there it is again, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. God who cannot lie promised before time began. So in summary, we can accept God's word as truth, and we can believe it is impossible for God to lie. Once we grab a hold of that, then we must also accept the fact that if he is, if he said that he would do something, he will be faithful to fulfill his promise. If he said he would do it, he will be faithful to fulfill his promise. I know at times I've had good intentions and I've said something like I would do something. I had good intentions, I wasn't lying. But then I didn't follow through with it. For whatever reason, I allowed busyness or distraction or whatnot to get in the way. But our God is not like that. What he says he will do, he will do. And he will be faithful to keep his promise. So three aspects of God's promises. There are many, but we'll talk about three. 
God's promise, God promises are filled with goodness and mercy. Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, we're talking about surely absolutely true, absolute truth that goodness and mercy will follow me. Goodness, this term is, is uh, the common but difficult to translate Hebrew word tob, T-O-B, which in its simplest form means good. However, the difficulty in translate, translation is a result of the world's multiple nuances by not limited to sustained pleasantness, well-being, prosperity, and happiness. Goodness. Goodness. No, although Jeremiah 29.11 does not contain the Hebrew word tobe, its essence seems to capture the broad range of tobe's meaning. Tobe, goodness. In this popular promise, God is speaking to and through the prophet Jeremiah to make promises to his people who at the time were in Babylonian captivity. So when God gives this word, this promise, they weren't in freedom. They weren't about to go into captivity. They were in captivity. And what was it that he said? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you future and and a hope. Can you imagine hearing that, being in captivity? There's a prophet coming and he's saying, thus says the Lord, I know the plans I have for you. They're for good, not disaster. They're to give you a hope and a future. I know when we moved in 1998, when we moved to Charlotte with our five children, um, it was, it was uh, for another time, testimony, but it was like an Abraham call. We couldn't get away from Charlotte, and, and we just left everything, everyone we knew, came to a place we had never been. My husband had to make the choice to give up his job of security in Massachusetts to find a job here because that's how strong it was. And when we got here, it was like through that first six months, it was hard. It was so hard. Not being near family, everything unfamiliar. And I remember crying and like, God, why are we here? Why did you lead us here? I didn't understand, but we knew that we knew that we knew it was him and we couldn't get away from it. And then we had children that were crying. They missed their friends. They missed their cousins. They missed their family. They missed their home. And we're trying to um, encourage them. And in the back of our minds, we don't, we don't have answers either. And God had to bring us to the place of, even if you never know why, just the fact that you know I led you needs to be enough. And he had me at that time put this scripture on my refrigerator so I could not just remind myself, I would pray it back to God. I would say, God, you said you know the plans that you have for me. You said that they're for good and not for disaster. And it feels like everything is being destroyed right now. You said it's to give me a future and a hope. 
But all I see is everything we left behind. I don't see the new yet. But God, I'm choosing to take you at your word that you know the plans you have for me. I don't see it. I don't feel it. We don't know it as a family, but we're trusting you. And can I say it? It didn't take long, you know, maybe in a year, I don't know, where we all came to the place where we went back home to visit. And it was, we couldn't wait to get back. It was like that was no longer our home. And we started to see these promises come to pass in our life in so many different areas and our children's life. But I didn't feel it at the time. And I had to stand on this scripture because... God is not a man that he would lie. And his promises are yes in him and amen in him. So I stood on this regardless of what it saw or what it felt like. Because just like back then, although Israel was not experiencing God's goodness, and I felt neither were we, his thoughts and plans for their future were that of sustained pleasantness, well-being, prosperity, and happiness. Mercy, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mercy, this is the Hebrew word hesed, often translated loving kindness. It's a prominent term in the Old Testament as loving kindness. Um, And in Old Testament covenant language that always described a steadfast, never wavering commitment to show tender devotion affectionate understanding, and or leniency, mercy. New Testament understanding is mercy. When God doesn't give me what I deserve, God doesn't give you what you deserve, that's mercy. Grace, when God gives you what you could never deserve or earn, that's grace. I've had a lot of grace and a lot of mercy on my life. I don't know about you. So when taken together, goodness and mercy represent an Old Testament forecast to the New Testament, mercy and grace that would come through the redemptive work of Christ. This is why the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help of time of need. How come I can come boldly to the throne of grace? Why can you come boldly to the throne of grace? Because of the righteousness of Christ that dwells in us when I decided to make the Lord Jesus my Savior, and have him shepherd my life, I have access. I have access to the Father. I no longer have to go through the priest to have the forgiveness of my sins washed away because he is our high priest. Jesus is our high priest, the one mediator between us and the Father. So I can go boldly. I can go boldly to the throne of grace where I can obtain grace and mercy. And I need that at times. At times I mess up and I need that grace and mercy. But because of Christ, I can go boldly. I can enter boldly. And sometimes I enter and I'm like, it's me, Lord. You know I'm really not worthy. But 
because of Christ in me, the righteousness of Christ has made me worthy and opened the door for me to come boldly to your throne where I can get grace and mercy because that's what I need right now. So mercy and grace are continually offered by God, our good shepherd, as is the stand-in invitation to confidently approach his throne in order to obtain, discover, an immense availability of God's goodness. That's where we obtain it, before his throne, his goodness and his mercy. Number two, God promises to chase you. What? And because it's Family Sunday, I have asked Maya and Karis if they would come and help me with this portion. I was at a women's conference, an IF women's conference last fall, and um, a little bit was touched on mercy and grace, but the example that they used, I just loved it, and I wanted it to really hit home. So here we have mercy, and here we have grace. And, and what does it say? They'll follow me all the days of my life. So even if I'm going this way, mercy and grace, they're going to follow me. I can't run away from them. I can't run away from them because goodness and mercy, they'll follow me all the days of my life. That's what the word says. That's what the word says. Mercy and grace will follow me all the days of my life. Thank you, girls. Didn't they do a good job? (laughs) They did a good job. I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. That makes me happy that mercy and grace follow me. They follow me. That's his promise to us. So surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Shall follow. This is the Hebrew word radap. Means literally to pursue ardently, to hunt down, to chase after. And it describes one army chasing after another in order to overtake them. Shall follow. Mercy and grace shall follow. They'll overtake me when I need it. Mercy and grace, they will follow. C.S. Lewis captures this idea when he famously described God as the hound of heaven. He said, he was the hound of heaven who doggedly pursued me and would not let go until he finally brought me, C.S. Lewis, into the kingdom kicking and screaming. Pursues us. He pursues us. You know, I say to people that are running from God, you might as well stop running because he's going to keep pursuing you. And especially if you have loved ones that are praying for you, he's not going to give up. He's going to, it's still our choice. But you know what? You might as well stop running and just surrender now. It saves us a lot of heartache as well. So... So however, as good as this promise is, when the rest of the phrase, all the days of my life, is added, we discover that goodness and mercy's pursuit is not just about overtaking, 
and apprehending, it goes into include a perpetual posture towards discipleship. A perpetual posture towards discipleship. Interestingly, the, the Greek rendition of the Old Testament translates the word redap in Psalm 23 with the Greek word, I'm not even going to begin to say it, parakuluthioto. I don't know. If you want it, you can come see me after, and I'll give you the word, the, the spell. And anyways, um, it's a compound word that refers to someone who tirelessly accompanies another who tirelessly accompanies another, remaining constantly at their side. Sounds like discipleship to me. And in fact, this word shows such determined commitment that it eventually became synonymous with the word discipleship. So when taken together, the Hebrew and Greek render a more comprehensive understanding of surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That affirms what the Apostle Paul confirmed later in these following passages. In Romans 2, 4, Paul writes, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The goodness of God leads us to repentance leads. The term is from the Greek word ago, which denotes both to lead by laying hold of in order to bring to the point of destination, like an owner would do like a destination, like a domesticating, domesticating a dog, you know, leading to a destination. And the other is to lead by accompanying one into a destined, into a destined place. That's the shepherd shepherding us, leading us into a destined place, the shepherd and the sheep. And 2 Corinthians one twenty through 22 says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means you to stand firm in Christ, For he has commissioned us, there's that word again, commission, disciple, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. The Holy Spirit in our heart guarantees everything he has promised and enables us. This is the Greek word, babaios, which means to establish So enables us means to establish, to make firm, dependable, durable, and reliable. By using this word, Paul is telling us that before God will bless us or promote us, and we need to hear this, and do that exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. I like to quote that, but before he will do all this in our life, he will first... um, work to confirm that we have the inward maturity to handle the next level of blessing and or responsibility. And there's some um, scriptures in James that um, go along with this. So before he does this, he, you know, sometimes God will show us what he has for us up ahead, 
But why are we not there yet? I mean, I think of David becoming king when he was told that he was anointed to be king. It took years before he got to the place. Why? Because there was some maturing that needed to happen. You know, when Joseph was given the dreams that he would rule over his brothers and his family and this and that, it took years before he was actually put into that place. Why? There was maturing that needed to be done for him to be able to handle the position God was calling him to. So commissioned. This is the Greek word, creo which is used five times in the New Testament to identify God anointing either Jesus or those whom Jesus has called. This anointing can further be understood as both the benefits of the anointing and the application of the anointing. The benefits of the anointing, the anointing is God's endorsement on us. That anointing is God's endorsement on us. Um in empowering, given as a means of authenticating an individual who has been placed in a specific office or assignment. Like Pastor um, Robert, he is anointed to be our under-shepherd, I say, to shepherd this, 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 this flock, this, um, this congregation. He was anointed to do this. And then there's the application of the anointing. And this is to anoint someone whom God has ordained as the anointer, someone who would anoint someone else and would fill their hands with oil, rub and massage the oil into the forehead, hands, and feet of one being anointed. You know, James talks about if any is sick among you, let him come before the elders of the church. And let them anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith. This is one that is being an anointer, anointing someone according to the word of God. So in summary, Paul's view of anointing is relevant here because it shows that both the goodness and mercy, the goodness and mercy of God that pursues and perfects us, and the promises of God that provides for the and promotes us. So one perfects us, one provides and promotes us, involve a hands-on establishment and endorsement by God before power is released. Goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. God's promises are eternal life. Heaven already promised to persistently pursue us with his goodness and mercy from new birth Through maturity, God now extends his promises through all of eternity. Psalm 23, 6 again says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dwell to abide and to remain. I will remain, I will abide in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord the Hebrew word, bayit, occurs about 2,000 times in the Old Testament, referring in its simplest form to a house, a dwelling, or a religious structure. So back then it was the temples that was the, considered the house of the Lord. However, here it widens to include the household, the family of God, or the presence of God. So the house of the Lord. Forever, 
This is the Hebrew word oric, which usually conveys length of days or longevity of life. However, promised in the Old Testament and procured in the New Testament, promised in the Old Testament, procured in the New Testament through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, forever the Christian is expanded to eternal life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall have, uh, not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life be an everlasting life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Are you dwelling in the house of the Lord? Do you know him? I know him. We can make that day now, and that's what I love. Romans says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever because of Christ, the fulfillment in the New Testament of this psalm. First Timothy 1.16 says, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for what? For everlasting life. Everlasting life, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. First John 2.25 says, And this is the promise that he has promised us. What is that promise? Say it. Eternal life. That's what he has promised. So we can see in Psalm 23, we can apply that to our lives eternal life through Christ. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as we realize that Jesus is the good shepherd, he promises to pursue us actively and assertively. As you could see, those girls, they weren't letting me get away from them. That's, that's uh, mercy and grace. They were Goodness and mercy, they were not going to let me get away from them. And that's how God pursues us actively and assertively with his goodness and mercy each and every day of our lives, beginning now and lasting through eternity. The writer of Hebrews' admonishment can be freshly read with eyes of renewed faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, some versions say faith, without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that you have brought Psalm 23 through these, this series and these weeks, Father, to such a refreshing way that we can apply to our life. And Lord, that you've reminded us, not only are you our shepherd, but what you do for us, you provide, you protect us, you lead us, God, you refresh us, Father, I I just thank you that grace and mercy, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and that because of you, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I pray for each one of us here that there would be a new enlightenment of that scripture, Father, and that we will continue to allow you, our good shepherd, to shepherd us. And we just thank you and we praise you and we ask it in Jesus' name. 
Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.